All right, if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, we're going to look at a few verses here in just a moment. Before we do, I want to just tell you our goal and target for the next two weeks is to inform the church family of these core values that help Parkway to decide what is important and what to be identified with. Now, understand I am not an expert and do not pretend to be an expert in this category of uh, core values or an expert in the way of developing a culture within a group of people. But what I am is an eager student, one that is reading and listening, one that is learning to the best of my ability to help shape a church and the culture within that ministry. And so though I'm not an expert, I am an eager student that is willing to learn and to be developed. And so if we do not want to be a church with too much to do and not know where our focus is, we have to hone in on what is important. There's a phrase that we picked up as a staff about six months ago that we read a book and and in there it says, if everything is important, nothing is important. And so as a church, we understand that we're limited in our resources. We're limited in our time. We're limited in our energy. We're limited in what we can give. And so with that thought of being limited, we know that we have to hone in on what is truly important. And so today we dig into four of the 12 in the worship service. We'll grab two more of those core values, and then next week we'll do the same thing by finishing up with four and two more to give us a total of 12 core values. Now, some corporations, companies have, have maybe 20 core values, or some have 15, or some maybe have 10. Some churches, as few as maybe four or five core values. As we began to shape this and pray over this, the Lord brought us to 12 that we believe represents our ministry very well as our current identity, but also what we want to be known for as we move forward as a church in this community. So when we look at Philippians chapter 1, we know that Paul is writing to the believers there at Philippi in verse number 1, we see that, and he's writing to the pastors, the deacons, the leadership, as well as the members of the church, and in verse number 3, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul is writing in this context and he is really excited about the participation, the partnership, the fellowship in the gospel. This was a church body who when Paul would pray for them, it brought him joy. Now, that's a really remarkable thing about a church. We've all been at places and been a part of places that when the mention of that company or maybe even that church, when the name is mentioned, there's really a bad spirit that is brought about. There's maybe some strong negativity or harsh memories that come about. And so as a local body of believers, our goal would be that any mention of Parkway Baptist Church or any identity that we would have in our community would bring joy to people's mind and and to their heart. And joy even in our own prayers as we continue to pray for our ministry as we move forward. So Paul is describing in verse number 6 this process of, of Christian growth and maturity. And he addresses this by telling us that when we trusted in Jesus Christ, we began this work in us. That God began in us, and now he's going to continue that until he returns for the church. And so that work continues in the local body of believers 
That's why it's important that we hone in on what is important. What is the mission? What is the goal? What is the vision that God has for us? Now, we understand that everyone, typically everyone wants to be a part of something that is growing, something that is exciting, something that is sustaining. Everybody wants to be identified or attached to that. Hopefully, you saw that when you came to Parkway and have been a part of this ministry or have continued to be a part of this ministry through the years, that you saw something that was exciting, something that was growing, something that was sustaining. And and none of that happens by accident. That always has to come with purpose and vision. Uh, Can you turn that gain down a little bit? I'm getting a lot of kickback here. I don't know if you're getting that as well, a lot of uh, reverb. We may want to look at that so that uh, I'm getting a lot of looks out there. Dr. Tom Rayner did a study in an interview, and, and what he did is he talked to several people who were from deceased churches, so churches that were once alive, growing, vibrant, and then they died off and closed the doors. And so Dr. Tom Rayner did some, some interviews with these people, and, and here's some of the statements as he would ask about their last years in their church before it died one person said, we were going through the motions. They just felt like in the last part of the years, they were just a church that was just going through the motions. Sunday morning, Sunday night, maybe Wednesday night, maybe this program, maybe this activity, this event, doing this, same songs, same purpose, same plan, and it was just going through the motions. Another person said, everything we did seemed to be like we were in a rut or bad routine. Hmm. Another person said this, we became more attached to our ways of doing church than we did asking the Lord what he wanted us to do. Now, that's a really good point, I think, for all of us, from the leadership to the congregation to newcomers, is that this is not about us. This is about God. This is God's church. Now, churches look different from one another. There's a variety of ways that churches function and and how they fulfill the mission that God has called them to. But within that, we always want to cover it in prayer. We always want to come back to the key point that it's not about what our vision or goal has to be, but about what is it that God is leading us to do. Here was another one. We stopped asking what we should be doing for fear that it would require too much effort or change. Now, I know that even in our own homes, sometimes we have to ask this question, what is it that we should be doing And sometimes it's going to require us to have a little bit more effort or even some drastic change in our life. We don't like that. Uh, We don't want to have to put too much effort or certainly change into our routine or into our life. Now, we have been casting the vision for a minor change within our ministry here in the next couple of weeks. And we have been uh, communicating with you about on August 25th that we will bump our connection class hour by 30 minutes back to 9.15, and then our worship service will begin at 10.30. And so we have to always ask the question, you know, what is our motivation? Why are we doing this? And last week, I kind of gave you a few of those things in the worship hour and just telling you it's not so that I can preach 30 more minutes every Sunday, okay? So rest assured of that. It's not just so that we can be the first in line at the buffet or at the restaurant after church. And... Um, And it's certainly not done just to aggravate you with some effort or some change. There always has to be prayer that goes behind this and purpose, what is important. And so when we look at this, we we say, well, how do we reach more people? How do we connect with a community? How do we communicate that we're here to love them 
and to connect with them. Now, we understand that the gathering of worship on a Sunday is about the edification and the, and the worship that we have to our Lord. It's about connection, fellowship, and, and growing with each other so that we become stronger and unified and, and that we have this experience, this opportunity to celebrate God's goodness each week. But then we also know that there is an opportunity that we have to invite and to connect with a community around us. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute with our core values. And so we have to ask, how do we reach more people and, and, and how do we expand or where do we expand? And so we know that as this crowd, crowd grows and continues to meet friends and continues to invite coworkers and family members and people driving by and people who just see and learn of our ministry and they come and they find this to be a warm, welcoming place, that's going to grow our crowd. And so we have to be prepared in the future for what does that mean? That may mean at some point, instead of blowing out the walls, it may mean that we have to go to two worship service hours. Now somebody says, whoa, two worship service I've already heard it. Somebody said he's going to split the church right down the middle. Two worship hours means a traditional service and a contemporary service. You don't even know me, do you? Would you please just have a conversation with me? Let's, let's sit and talk because you know my heart is all about unity. If you have one service that looks this way and another service that looks this way, you have people who are functioning in church how they want it to look. And all of a sudden, you've got this group that says, I don't like how that group functions. And this group says, well, I don't like how they function. And they try to be a unified body of believers following in the mission that God has called them. Now, to each their own, there's ministries that do that. And I'm not saying one thing about them because they stand responsible before God. I stand responsible before Parkway. And so rest assured that when the time comes that our ministry has to expand to two services, that those are going to look identical. It's just going to be the same. It's going to be two opportunities. And what it does for us as a church body is it allows us to attend a service to worship without distraction and another service to plug in and serve. As a ministry continues to grow, there's going to be needed more nursery workers, more children's workers, more ushers, more first impression, more security, more ministry of music, a lot of people that are going to have to plug in, get involved, using their gift sets to be a blessing to others as well as to glorify God. And so we have to ask ourselves, how do we expand? And then we have to also ask, what are we attached to? I'll be honest, I'm attached to my bed on Sunday mornings. Like that alarm goes off and I'm like, oh, maybe I can snooze seven, nine more minutes. And then after hitting that snooze button four times, I'm like, okay, it's time to get up. So we have a lot of things that we're attached to. Some of us are attached to routine. Some of us are attached to schedules. Some of us are attached to time. Some of us are attached to comfort. There's always some things that are effort and change that we all have to give into. Now, I want you to be rest assured that this is something that we have been praying about for a year and a half. This is something that we have been preparing for when the time has to come. And so God has let us open those doors of opportunity um, I'm so thankful and excited for the feedback that we're getting. Um, I don't want you to ever feel like you can never be contradicting in your questions or in your comments. If you do it in an appropriate way, I love that interaction. I love the opportunity to sit and to talk about that and to really even share my heart with you of uh, giving you some assurance of how we can walk through these things. Now, if uh, you know of somebody that's got some questions, but they're not here in this service, maybe they're in the 11 o'clock only, um, to, to encourage them to have conversation. Or are we recording this morning? 
So we're recording this morning, um, and uh, we'll direct them to this session as well uh, so that they can hear the heartbeat on this. So what happened was, is back in the spring of this year, the pastoral team read a book entitled, When Your Church Feels Stuck, and uh, written by Chris Sonkson. And the author discussed six phases of a church, and he, he went into detail about what they look like. Now, all of this is written here in your handout, so if you didn't get one but you would like one, uh, maybe guys, I don't know if there's some more there on the credenzas, they won't, these won't do us any good until uh, certainly after today. And so if you would like one to follow along with what we're discussing, raise your hand, uh, the men have those available for you. So back in the spring, we began to look at these six phases of ministry and uh, what they meant and, and, and how they are identified. And so he discussed these six phases, and the first one is launch. Now, this is an exciting phase of a church. Uh, this is where the church is being birthed, and the birthing of a church means limited money and limited people. On Wednesday night, a small group of us, apart from the parent connection, we met in room 301, and there was about 20, 25 of us, and and we sat there and, and sang our first song, He Lives, He Lives. And, and in a small setting like that, there's a lot of volume because we're just in a classroom. And uh, it was an exciting atmosphere. And then during the opening prayer, God laid on my heart and said, you know, there are church plants all across America and really all across the world who would love to even have this space, this group of people, this technology, as we were using a computer and a screen to do the lyrics and the sermon slides, to have a keyboard, a, a, an actual keyboard to play, a, a pianist to play, a volunteer layman to lead the music, and to look around the crowd and to have a variety of age groups in that crowd. So, so we just took a minute to pray for church planners right there because they are going through this launch process where they're praying for money and they're praying for people. So we knew that Parkway was not in the launch stage, and then we looked at stage number two, and that's Utopia. Utopia is where everything is going right. Attendance is growing, the budget and the finances are growing. Everything seems to be working and going right. But the problem in this phase is, is that you don't know why it's going right. Like, yeah, things are happening, things are going well, but we're really not sure why it's happening or how it's happening. And then from the utopia stage comes the whirlwind phase. The whirlwind phase is that the church realizes that they lack so many things to create consistent and sustainable growth. And so growth is outpacing the finances and multiple systems and processes are lacking for the foundation of the church moving forward. There's an attendance lid that can't seem to, to break through for the church. And, and so this whirlwind is an exciting place to be except for when you're not focused and know what to say yes to, what to say no to, what is important and what is not important is this does not have sustainable growth, nor does it have health for the church body. So the next phase is really the peak of the phases of the church. And if you look at it at a graph, you would see that the launch stage, which gets finally to this increase phase, where you want to be as a church because the increase phase says that a lot goes into getting to this phase and staying in this phase. And so what happens is, is there's a clear vision, a clear mission. They know what their church is all about. Hmm, that's a really important thing, not for leadership, but for the church body to know what your church is all about. 
And then they develop the systems and processes to keep them in a winning strategy. And then they define their values. They know what to say yes to, what to say no to. They identified the wins for their church. And wins is, if you can label what a win means, you, you know, some of you remember that in, in high school. Like a win for you was bringing home a report card with no D's and F's. But hey, if you had a C, mom and dad were still pretty excited because that was a win for you, okay? Now some of you are nodding, okay? You get me. Um, so you know what it means to identify what a win would be. In the church setting, it's not always that every Sunday we want to break records. That just doesn't happen, and that's not what it's about. It's not about numbers. It's not about attendance. It's about people who are plugging in, people who are engaged, people who are growing, people who are being discipled, people who are being saved and baptized, and people who are finding themselves to serve in God's local church. And so we have a different graph that we use every week to help identify what those wins are at Parkway. And then also they created a proper environment and culture. And so they have the right DNA in their church. And another thing with this phase of ministry is that they dialed in their services, their church services, to reflect their mission and their strategy. So you can see that in this chart, they're going from this launch to increase. That's the peak. But unfortunately, there's two more phases. We won't spend a lot of time with the merry-go-round or ultimately the death phase. But the merry-go-round is a lot of movement, but no progress in the church. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of activity. There's a lot of um, programs. There's a lot of movement in the church, but they're not making progress with the mission that God has given them. And then ultimately, it's going to lead to death of that church. And this, somebody, the author quoted and said, churches are a lot like trees. A tree is either slowly growing or slowly dying. There is no in-between. And so Parkway, we want to be part of the slowly growing process. Uh, we want to work through the utopia, the whirlwind. We want to get to the increase. We want to make sure that things are connecting and, and clicking as they should be. Now remember, if everything is important, then nothing is important. And so let's look at four of these core values that shape our culture, and let's discuss those for a couple of minutes. Number one is looking to the absolute truth and authority of the Bible. Now, you're going to see in bold and underlined a word, and that is going to be the sole core value of that point. The other parts of that core value are kind of supporting texts that give a little bit more explanation and detail. We diligently seek to demonstrate that we believe God's word, and we do this by how we think and how we act. Now, though the core values that you're going to see these next two weeks, they're not listed in any particular order, what better one to start with than this, where God's word is our absolute truth and our authority? Now, if you've been a part of the church world, you would know that this seems to be a given, but understand that in today's society and culture, this is not any longer a given. There are churches who will teach and preach apart from the truths of God's word. There are pastors, there are preachers, there are traveling speakers who will who will set aside God's word to give their own experience and their own thoughts and their own insight to what they want to encourage that group of people with. And so we want to make sure that in everything that we do, God's word is our absolute authority. And there's a lot of things that can help us with that. First Thessalonians chapter 2 
in verse 13. There's a verse of scripture that uh, Paul writes to the Thessalonican church, and he says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. So he says, what I'm about to tell you, we thank God all the time. We don't stop thanking and praising God for this, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, the apostles, the messengers, the missionaries, the church planters, he said, when you heard this message of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually works also in you that believe. So Paul is writing here with great confidence in the word of God that it doesn't, um, it doesn't bring this wishful thinking or that it doesn't bring this blind faith. For the power of the word of God changed your life and it continues to change our life. That's why the word of God is such an important part to the Christian journey. That's why reading it, memorizing it, meditating on it, making it a, a natural part of our life, it is the very words of God that are effective to the believer. And so God's word, it works. It doesn't bring just information or produce some feeling in us. There is power in the word of God to change lives. And some of you are those living examples of how the word of God has drastically changed your life. Maybe God allowed man to speak truth from their heart to you, but ultimately it was the word of God that brought you that faith. Remember what Paul wrote, Romans 10, 17? So faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so that powerful truth from the word of God is what shaped you, changes you. And for a church, that's our absolute truth and it's our authority. Number two. Celebrating with authentic worship. Now, we strive to make every day God-honoring as we walk with and honor Christ in all we do. Now, this is a really interesting point because with this authentic worship, what a privilege we have to worship God all the time. And uh, what an awesome responsibility and privilege that is. Now, we get to meet corporately every week to, to worship God. And we're very purposeful in that worship. That's why when you enter this morning um, here in just a little bit, you will hear music that will be majestic, energetic, and worshipful. It, it is to gear our minds and our hearts and our attention to, to what we're here for. We know that music plays with our emotions. And before a communion service, there's a more solemn and reflective time of worship. There's a a quietness of our heart. There is a pondering of what God is or who he is in our life, what he has done. There are other times where there is this excitement of, of this celebration of who God is. And, and so this proper aspect or this proper approach to worship is very vital and important to the Christian life. Now, worship, though, when we think of worship, always geared toward music. Like, we think that that's the only way to worship. But we know that there are other ways of worshiping. Some of you have already worshiped this morning because you came early and you set up coffee and donuts or you handed out bulletins or greeted people or you've prepared for music or you've done some other things as an, an act of worship, serving others and then glorifying God with that. 
right now, in a very frazzled way, there are some nursery workers who are worshiping God because they are holding on to crying babies so that a mom and dad can sit in a session like this. Or there's children's workers who are trying to corral some boys and girls together to sit still long enough to hear a missionary story or a Bible story. And, uh, and so they're doing their part in worshiping God. Now, in a little bit, we'll lift our voices together. And, and there's a lot of excuses that we give towards this topic of worship. Maybe we say, well, that's, that's really not in my personality, or it's really just not a part of who I am. That's not what I'm good at doing. That's just not me about this worship. But look at what the Bible says in Colossians 1.16 when we think about how we have all been created to worship. In Colossians 1.16, it says, For by him, God, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, the things that are visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Now think about this. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so everything that we do, not just a one-hour setting corporately on a Sunday morning, but every part of our life should be directing our worship. This looks different for all of us. Sometimes it's when we are alone. How many of you can look back at the last week and you can think back at a time when you were all alone and you had a very powerful moment of worshiping God? Would you raise your hand? All right, leave your hand up if that happened to be in the shower. Would you keep your hand? Okay, no, that's fine. How many of you was in the car, maybe going down the road? Okay, some of us was that. So there's that moment of this alone time with God that is a very memorable, powerful time of worship. Sometimes we do it with our, with our family. If we have our family worship time together and the girls are, are singing a song to, um, to YouTube and something they've learned in the kids' program or at school and they're singing those songs and they're teaching mommy and daddy the motions or the words... And then we discuss the truth of that, and then we study the word. Here's what we've done. We haven't gone to Bible class. We've worshiped together as a family. And it's not very structured. It's not overly structured. And you can't do that with a 7- or 10-year-old. Everybody sits still, look up, sit up straight. Hey, look this way. All right? No, we're not doing that. It is a loose time of worship together as a family because they realize as a gospel-centered family, our attention has to be directed to God. All right, kids, how do we handle this situation? What happened today? What happened in this situation at school? Here's, what, here's how daddy faces this, or this is how mommy would do this. Hey, let's look at a scripture verse that would help support that. Hey, how should we be living our life that looks more like Jesus Christ? And so these are all moments of worship with our family. How about in a conversation with a friend? How many of you have ever had a conversation with a friend? They've told you something, tears well up in your own eyes, something in your spirit, goosebumps on your arms, and you just want to shout glory to God right there in their face because you're just in that moment of worship. Anybody ever been there before? Yeah, that's a, a moment of worship to God. Maybe sometimes that worship comes with a Bible study group or a, a friend or maybe listening to music or even writing your own music. Or some of you do other talents and abilities that while you paint or while you write or while you sing or while you work or while you fix or while you do things, you're worshiping God. Boy, I tell you, when our attention is on God in those moments when a mistake is made, it helps us to respond a whole lot better than saying the things that may naturally come to our mind in the moment of hitting our nail with our hammer. So this time of worship. What does this act of worship look like in your life? It needs to be the question we all ask. As a core value of Parkway, 
Understand that authentic worship does not mean just when we meet corporately. That's why it's been written. We strive to make every day God-honoring as we walk with and honor Christ in all that we do. We do have a future sermon series coming up uh, in the fall entitled Hijacked. And we're going to be looking at taking back what they've twisted apart. And one of those messages is going to be on worship. We're going to look at the topic of worship. Another Sunday, the topic of Holy Spirit. Another one will be soul winning. I think all three of those categories, somebody apart from us has grabbed it, twisted it, manipulated it, and made us fearful of it. So how do we get back to the truths of what they really are? And so part of that is a core value of authentic worship. Number three. Number three is reflecting, reflecting the diversity of our community. We desire to reach and unite with every generation, ethnic group, and social status represented in our community. I did a project this past semester for a class I was taking, and, and one of them was to kind of communicate in a paper about the community surrounding our church. And so in the paper, I had mentioned that in 2014, when the Lord allowed me to become co-pastor, we had partnered with Brother Richardson and developed a, a vision or a mission statement for the church. And it was four simple words, love God, love people. And so as we began to move forward as a ministry, we wanted everything that we did to point to love God, love people. And then we realized later down the road that really everything you do within a church can really kind of be defined or represented by loving God, loving people. And that's why we've come now to the core values, full circle of being able to better develop that culture within our church. But as I did some research, I would mention in here that as our property sits here at the 4210, we know that we have a, an assisted living next door in the back and then a, a, um, a rehab center right here, a nursing home. And then on this side, we've got 785-acre RV lot that uh, northerners come in and they'll hang out for a season. And then you look across the street, and you've got a pristine neighborhood right over here diagonally, which is mostly senior citizens, gray-haired senior saints. Well, not that all of them are not saints, but uh, senior citizens that live in that neighborhood. And so as I wrote in this paper, I thought if you just kind of stand out on the 4210 and look around, you'd begin to think that maybe we're just going to be gray-haired Baptist church, or maybe that's just all we are as a community. But then I wanted to look a little deeper because I realized that we're much more diverse here in our own community. So in 2017, I looked into this um, precept group that gave us some statistics on a five-mile radius of our church property. And so putting us right in the middle of the circle and everything around us for five miles going in every direction, here's what some of the statistics came back. In a five-mile radius from our church, 130,000 people live just in the five-mile radius of our church. So of those 130,000 people, we saw that that had grown quite uh, drastically from 2002, 15 years earlier, had grown almost 23% growth. Now, you know, being in Lakeland or Winter Haven, Auburndale, or being in Mulberry or Plant City, or if I forgot your city, I'm so sorry, but you know in being in this part of where we are that it's growing the housing market is booming. People are moving in. I read an article a couple of weeks ago that said Florida is growing every year by the amount of one city the size of Orlando. So that's a lot of people coming into Florida every year. And we know that also that Forbes, 2018 Forbes annual list of America's fastest growing cities, they recognize the Lakeland Winter Haven area as number 14 nationwide 
as an area of growth. So I said, well, how does this break down? Because we want to know what our, our community is represented by. And so there are three minority groups that are represented in our five-mile radius, and they represent 32% of the population. The Hispanic and Latinos account for 15%, the African Americans account for 12%, and the Asians account for 5%. So when we look at this, we know that God is blessing Lakeland, Polk County, this area, with a very diverse group of people that are growing together in a city. Now, we can shout Lakeland's praise about the, 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 how they're um, preparing and how they're doing, but that's not about Lakeland today. It's about Parkway. What are we doing to prepare ourselves for a community that is changing, developing, and growing? So we have to purposely, intentionally be mindful that we want our congregation to represent our community, that we want to be a diverse group. And we want to do that multi-generationally. So we've got some young, we have some middle, and we have some seasoned. And then we also want to do that multi-ethnically. And we've got a great uh, group of diverse folks that call this their church home, a place where they have connected, bonded, and continue to grow together. Now, let me, let me help us to understand something. Because this, as we rattle off, could be just a given. We look around and we say, yeah, this is a given. This is what a local church typically looks like. But it doesn't. I've had the conversations with pastors. I've had the conversations with traveling speakers. I've had the conversations around the country to realize that what we have is something that is special. Now, there are other churches and other communities that are able to have a more diverse because they're just in that place where it's a larger population. But we have to be thinking in the future. How does that look like for our church with a Spanish Bible study or a, a, a Spanish uh, uh, attention to attracting uh, Latinos to our church body, that knowing that we love them. Looking to see how do we continue to gel um, uh, seasoned families with young families. How do we help senior saints to realize they can pour into the younger? How do we teach the younger to realize they can walk up and smile to a seasoned saint and, uh, and have conversation with them? Uh, how do we gel these two together that they can have a cookout in the backyard and not feel like they're miles and miles apart? Uh, how do we get seniors to be able to rub shoulders with young people who have crazy kids running around like, like uh, crazy people and, and yet still embrace them, love them, encourage them, pray for them, and, and walk through life's journey together. So that's a local church. That's a body of believers doing church together. And so we are going to continue to pursue reflecting the diversity of our community. Romans chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also. He desperately wanted to go to Rome, and even as among other Gentiles. He says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so a great reminder for us as a local church that the gospel is powerful and plays an important role in everybody's life. Number four, cultivating proper connections. We understand the importance of living out the Christian journey with encouraged relationships within the body of Christ while avoiding the trap of isolation. 
Now, we love the word connections, right? Okay, I do. All right, all right, fine. All right, that's been an important word for me since day one. The word connection, the idea of connections, has been really something on my heart for the last 10 to 15 years. It was something that was being so clearly played out when you would see Christians who were wanting to just live their life in isolation. They were not willing to have conversations with people about their spiritual journey. They were not willing to be accountable to any spiritual leader. They did not want to have anything in their life that would help them to take steps of growth. They just wanted to go at this on their own. And maybe that was a part of their personality or maybe it was just a part of pride. I don't know. But we have to be careful that we don't fall into this trap as the body of believers that we just want to be left alone. When you look at this word connections, there's several other words that come to mind. There's the word fellowship or partnership or participation. The idea of connection is one that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the early church was very active in. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Now, that was key. So they were learning, uh, they were applying, and their life was being changed. But they also continued in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. This word fellowship is partnership. It's this connection. So the early church saw the importance of connection, conversation, partnership. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 and 7, uh, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship, partnership, connection with him, God, and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. We have this partnership, something in common. Don't you like it when you find something in common with somebody at your workplace? At the break table, you have something to talk about. Last night, we were out to eat, and uh, with mom and dad, and somebody came to our table, and his little name tag said he was from Cleveland, Ohio. So right away, we had something in common to talk about. The most dominant team in the NFL, the Cleveland Browns. We talked about them. The up-and-coming team that's now in one game back in their division, the Cleveland Indians. So we had a lot to talk about over this because there was a common bond where dad was born, where he was born, where they grew up, what they did. We always love to find that common bond. Because there's that new partnership. And we enjoy every place that we find that. But look around the church body and find where you have that partnership, that connection, that common bond, that participation with one another. Remember, this part of cultivating, growing, nurturing, proper fellowship connections and partnership is so vital to the health of the local church. We know that churches that die or split apart is because relationships were not nurtured, they were not invested in, and uh, they were not unified. And that can be detrimental. The body of Christ will not properly function if the members are trying so desperately to live in isolation. Colossians chapter 3, if you've got some time this week, study out verses 10 through 16. I'd be interested to see how many of these first four core values you see in verses 10 through 16. I'll give you a little cheat code. I found all four of them, okay? And, uh, and so study first, uh, Colossians 3, 10 through 16. The last two that are in your notes are actually going to come up here in just a few minutes in our sermon um, as we launch the Unstoppable Church. But let me give them on your notes here, because I know how some of you are. It'll drive you insane if you don't have the whole thing filled out, all right? And so number five is fitting together with our community. And we're going to talk about that in our message here this morning. And then number six 
is focusing on missions. And we'll talk about those two things here coming up. And, uh, and so we'll do this again next week as we'll continue on the same format with four more. Uh, this morning's message, Unstoppable Mission, uh, we've incorporated these next two. You'll see those in the sermon notes in your bulletin, but you've also got that one there. If you have any questions over any of this data, information, or vision, uh, please feel free to have conversation, um, and uh, we'd love to go into detail with you on that. Our prayer would be that we would all find an attachment to this, and then we're looking to ways to keep this in front of us. How do we, how do we remind the church body? Not just as a newcomer, they'll see it in the Discover Parkway class, or maybe a new member packet, but how do we that have been here for a long time how do we continue to see the vision so clearly that what is important here at Parkway? Remember, if everything is important, nothing is important. And so we have to focus on what God has given us.